I brought up a subject on a video um, a couple weeks ago that I said that if anyone was interested in hearing me talk about this subject, um, just let me know and I'd be happy to do so because we all know I talk for days. And a couple, and someone absolutely did, and even uh, a couple people even private messaged me about it and asked me um, in private, and I gave them kind of like a very abbreviated summary of what was going on. Um, but uh, today I'm making a little video to respond to that, and I was, this will probably end up being a solo podcast for Keep Comments Just to Stink podcast, because I'm probably going to go on for a while. Um, but basically what today... I'm going to talk about, because it's going to get probably a little deep, um, about what's going on in the reptile hobby, in the community, things that have been going on lately, and what is going to be coming, um, both in the immediate future and possibly things to come. Um, I mean, I know I'm just like one kind of nobody on the internet right now, um, but I've been talking to a lot of people in the hobby and a little outside the hobby. Um, kind of from every aspect of it, from people who've been doing this, you know, some of like the old school guys, um, as to well as some of the people who are more in like the big industrial part of the industry, I guess you could say, um, who are doing different things and have been doing things for a while, as well as a lot of like the newer people or the people that are really starting to take the community in a different and what I think is a better direction. Um, because, you know, living in, living in your own little bubble, I don't think is ever good, um, you know, you want to be able to hear information from a lot of different sources and views, um, both about, you know, whatever you're into, uh, as well as just kind of the world as a whole. Um, you don't have to agree with everything, but you can always take that information to help form your opinions and have a more knowledgeable, you know, base about to form your opinions and what you want to do with that knowledge. And so with that in mind, this is, you know, I was I was asked to be a guest on a podcast um, it was more of like an Aquarius podcast, but they're starting to get other people from outside of there. Um, and I was asked to talk about, um, a little bit about the reptile community and kind of what I do, um, in the reptile community. And one of the questions that they asked me, um, which we didn't like pre-rehearse any of these, they just, I was just kind of flying off the cuff cause I can do that. Um, and they asked what, if any, would be a reptile species you would want removed from the hobby. Um, and again, hadn't thought about this at all. It was just right off the cuff. And I said, red eared sliders. Um, and that actually kind of took me aback for a second. Um, and it made me think about things where, and I, and I mentioned this in the beginning of a video um, a couple weeks ago where, you know, are there any reptiles in this hobby that shouldn't be? Um, and I thought about that for a long time. And what I kind of came to the conclusion is that I don't know if necessarily there shouldn't be, and like, there should be no of like, the, like there should be species that are barred from being kept privately. Um, but I think that there are definitely quite a few out there that are much too prevalent, much too popular for their own good, for the good of the people who keep them as well as for this industry and this hobby. Um, you know, and in that video, I talk about that a little bit. Um, it's again, this is my opinion about these things. And I gave alternatives to those things that are a little bit better. Um, and you know, it's, it's something that I like this, this industry, this hobby is something that I got into a little bit kind of later in life. Um, where, you know, us, us 30 something year old millennials, we all are just hopefully now trying to really figure out what we want to do um because it's been such a really weird world 
Um, and I never thought that I wanted to be a person that goes out and talks to kids or to teaches or gets in front of people and educates and speaks about these things. I never had an issue doing that. Um, it's just, I've never been a real big people person. Um, and so, you know, I finally have found what I, what I believe to be is my passion. And I kind of got into this a little bit kind of later in the game, not only in life, a lot of people have their start, you know, in their teens, if not younger, um, and then really get into it into their early twenties. I didn't really get going until I was, you know, in my mid to late twenties really got going until I was 30, um, which is absolutely scary to say out loud. But, um, you know, when I got into this, you know, I saw the people on YouTube, you know, the Brian Barcheks and the Brian Cusco's of the world that have been doing it for a while. And they made it really popular, um, that they kind of helped kind of revolutionize and reshape the industry as a whole, not only because of their social media presence, but how they did it successfully monetarily. Um, and because, you know, this is America, this is where we live. Uh, money is the driving force behind everything, everything. And, you know, that is also a big part of what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. But I guess let me, let, I'm kind of starting to ramble. I was going to do this a lot better last night. Um, but, you know, it was probably about one o'clock in the morning at that point. And I was getting really tired and I was still wrapping up some other stuff. Um, and I was just kind of talking to myself out loud. I was doing this. But so as anyone listening knows or should at this point that the reptile hobby industry, whatever you want to have you essentially keeping these animals is under essentially constant, I guess you could say attack from legislative, bo legislative bodies um, and certain other groups where um, a lot of these groups where their end goal is to have no animals in captivity under any circumstance, private pets, you no know, cats and dogs, livestock, zoological facilities, animal research, anything like that. I mean, even um, for some of these groups, uh, like wildlife rehab, it should just be nature should take its course. Humans should have absolutely no influence or focus on that whatsoever. Um, and they have a lot of money um, to kind of help sway their way. As we said, the money makes makes the world go around, especially here in this country. And because they're they're very good at advertising, it feels it feels good to help give money to these groups that are supposedly to help animals. Um, and you know, a part of me wants to like, oh yeah, no, that's absolutely we want to do that. But you know, any anybody at this point, we we probably know who I'm inferring to at this point, where essentially their motto is, um, you know better dead than in human hands or in bondage um, is the way they think of things a lot of the times. And they have proven that time and time again. Um, but because they have a pretty message that people not in the know um, or even people who don't ever even need to hear more than, you know, or see anything more than, you know, a five word inflammatory, um, you know, article or headline, um, that's all it takes. And then that's money in their pockets and they can help push their agenda because it doesn't matter what politician, what level of government from city, county, all the way up to federal, um, money is what drives them, their choices most of the time, uh, money and power. It doesn't, it doesn't matter which politician it is. It, that's, that's how it works. They all are like that to some degree. Everyone has a price um, and they have a big wallet to dive into. 
And so at this point, we all know what I'm talking about. This most recently happened um, about the Lacey Act uh, amendments that were put into what was at that point called the Competes Act, which um, later was reconciled into both the House and the Senate and was called the Chips Act or something like that. Um, and, and there was a lot removed, including those Lacey Act amendments, which were almost literal copy and paste from other Lacey Act amendments, as well as other different ones that have been trying to pass, um, both state-wise and federally as well. Um, and, you know, everyone's, you know, giving themselves a good, a good pat on the back. Um, and honestly, rightly so, uh, U.S. ARC, um, which essentially acts as our, you know, kind of reptile industry lobbyist group. Um, they did a, a, a tremendous job of putting out the word, letting us know what was going on, keeping people in the loop, um, for the most part. Um, and there were, there was actually a time during one of the, uh, one of the congressperson's speeches, it was literally, um, U.S. ARC's jargon and words that were being repeated back about why they needed to be removed from legislation. So, um, you know, it did help put the, our voices out there. It really did. Um, however... That was not the first, and it most certainly won't be the last. Um, you know, and, and U.S. ARC does a good job of, of you know, letting us know things about, you know, the alerts of potentially changing legislation and laws in different counties, different cities, um, you know, everything like that. But uh, there is something that, you know, these, these guys have been fighting to, to do this for quite some time. And reptiles make an easy first one. Um, and I shouldn't even say that this is really the first one. So, I mean, keeping any animals for a long time, there's always been kind of this weird catch-22 with that, which is, you know, keeping them, is that necessarily the best for the animal, for the environment, and different things like that. Um, but there are some animals that, you know, there's, there is no denying or arguing that, especially in private individual hands, very problematic to keep both for the animals, for the people, and for the communities that they're in. Um, and so, you know, 15, 20 years ago, when a lot of this really started to get in place, um, you know, before, back in like the wild, wild west eras of like the 70s, 80s, and even into the early 90s, um, where a lot of people could have kind of whatever they wanted, wherever they wanted. Um, they started to really kind of crack down on some of those things. You know, it started with, you know, the big cats and bears um, and, you know, the, and primates um, even wolves in a lot of times. Um, and that's, you know, that that's probably a good thing, in all honesty. Like, big cats probably, like, an individual shouldn't have a big cat, honestly. Um, you know, it's, like, even zoos and, and zoological facilities and wildlife parks, um, you know, that's, that's a lot. And so from there, they move on to a very easy target, which is the reptile community. Um, and keeping reptiles and reptiles in general um, and amphibians and, and things like that where, you know, they've essentially been demonized by virtually every culture um, for centuries at one point or another. Ev really everyone. And there are there are some exceptions here and there. But for the most part, we all can pretty much agree that, you know, specifically snakes um, have all been very demonized. Um, and there are ties to different religions about how they're evil and things like that. How even, even in common phrases, you know, when someone says you're a snake, you know, they're, they're not a good guy. They're a liar. They're a cheat. Um, and that's not going away. And so what they're doing is they're using reptiles as that first foothold and then they get in there and then they can get in and move to other, um, individual ones. 
and you know they they have a really good a real as i said before a really good advertising system for that and they've been able to do so very easily and they've definitely it seems like they're really putting their foot on the gas and i think i have a feeling as to why that is um and that's because keeping reptiles is becoming very popular um because of the because of what happened with covid and the pandemic um you know a lot of people got pets um a lot a lot of people and you know i i really got my started into a lot of this with um with dogs and rescues with dogs and i still have some people that i know in that world that it is it's not good shelters are filling up because a lot of people got dogs and cats um during the pandemic and when they were home and then after everything kind of started to settle down to what you know we were being forced back into normalcy um a lot of people gave up their animals and so shelters are overcrowded but they found that reptiles they didn't have to do that because they don't take up as much space they don't have to go for walks they don't need a bunch of exercise they they do very well being left alone as as most of them is just as well as being interacted with and so reptiles is becoming increasingly popular to be kept um as well as the rise of social media you're seeing a lot more um I'm probably going to throw this word out a lot, normalcy, um, and a lot of normalization of people keeping reptiles to where you're seeing a lot of people have bearded dragons, a lot of people have ball pythons, a lot of people have crested geckos. Um, and it's almost, I mean, it's like every other person seems like sometimes where someone either has one or, I mean, just the other day, um, I was, I was at Home Depot picking some stuff up and they go, Hey, aren't you that snake guy? And I was in the small little town, um, like two hours from where even in my little small town um, because I happened to stop by to do like a tiny, like little reptile presentation in another group um, for a little celebration they were having. And someone recognized me from that. And so now even, you know, when I'm talking to people um, and they ask what I do, I do the animal reptile um, stuff where I currently live. They're like, Oh, like the, like the, like the gator farm. Cause I'm li I, li I live pretty close to Colorado gators. I'm like, well, kind of, but not exactly. Um, but that, that's about it. But otherwise when I'm outside of, you know, this kind of this immediate area, it's, oh, that's really cool. Oh yeah. My, you know, my kid was doing this or, oh, my partner d uh, knows somebody about like that, or like, well, you know, relatives who have these animals, which is really cool. But I think that might be the reason why, um, legislation to try to regulate and remove a lot of the ability to keep these animals is really being, you know, the gas is being floored on them right now. And that is because, uh, the more popular they get, the harder it's going to be to shift public opinion to try to get people to move away from that. Um, and that is definitely one of their biggest things. And so that's, you know, essentially for this fight to, you know, remove, to remove our ability to keep these animals has always been kind of like a two prong approach. And just recently in the last couple of years, they actually have three now. Um, the first one is, um, you know, public, uh, well, it, oh, I should say, let me rephrase. The first one is environmental. So there's always an issue with keeping exotic animals, whatever you want to classify as an exotic animal. I mean, heck, we could even say that like, you know, a cat outside is technically considered a cat is technically considered an exotic animal. Um, but there's always been this thing where either due to human error people being bad keepers and owners or natural disasters, 
to where animals that aren't from native habitats are introduced to ecosystems and they do do damage for sure. Um, and South Florida, for instance, is there's I and I understand that bringing that up, especially in this community, it's a it's a whole thing. But we cannot argue that there aren't dozens of invasive species there. We could, you know, argue that, you know, human industry is much more of an impact that, you know, cats outdoors are much more of an impact that pollution and things like that much, are, are a bigger impact on the environment than in, than invasive species, even the Burmese pythons and, you know, the Nile monitors and tegus and stuff. Um, but we can't deny that they are there and they're not supposed to be. And that's where, you know, as someone who does love the environment and does want to preserve natural ecosystems, I often find myself kind of like fighting and arguing with myself when I see, you know, they're always inflammatory, but, you know, the headlines of, you know, the biggest Burmese python ever caught out of the Everglades, you know, and it's euthanized and dissected. And, you know, I go, well, I mean, it's not, it's not their fault they're there. They're not, they're just, they're just trying to do what they do. They're just trying to exist and live, you know, why do we have to kill it? But then also it's like, they're really not supposed to be there. And just them doing what they're trying to do is harmful to the things that are supposed to be there. And, you know, I also know because I have acquaintances in the zoological field where, you know, even catching even smaller Burmese pythons and other animals, even zoos can't really house a lot of them. Um, and giving them or even selling them to private individuals isn't necessarily the smartest thing to do. Um, and then it also comes back to money, just like everything else, where it is much cheaper and more cost-effective to euthanize those animals than it is to try to do some other alternative. Um, and so, you know, like the pragmatist, the realist part of my brain goes, well, I mean, mm. But then the other part of me that loves animals, that loves snakes, that loves reptiles, I go, well, it's not their fault. Um, and that's that's the that's the technique that the, these groups have been using for at this point decades to make sure that it is kept up in the public opinion that it's that they're bad, they're not supposed to be there, that they shouldn't be keeping them. Um, and then the other one is. It's it's the the it's the keeping part. It's it's the the impact of public opinion, not just in the econ not not in the environmental part, but the ethics of keeping them. Um, as and this is honestly what I think is going to be come our biggest fight to come ever. Um, that's going to happen in the next year and a half or so, and I'll tell you why. Um, and you know they've. At this point, we've all seen, you know, the kind of slash and burn quick documentaries we've seen about, you know, people who go to the reptile shows and insinuate that the small little like holding containers that we have just for those weekends or even for the day, um, that that's how they spend their whole lives, that they spend their lives in horrible conditions and they would go to like large breeding facilities before, um, you know, people really figured their stuff out and they saw not great conditions for things. And they were perpetuated by certain individuals that they thought they weren't doing anything wrong because either laziness or ego or whatever it was. Um, and so there's, you know, a smear campaign essentially on the reptile community. Um, and we are not good at 
showing otherwise in all honesty we're really not um and that's that kind of two-prong approach that they've been using to you know essentially do that is you know the impacts on the environment even in places like you know colorado where if a ball python or a boa gets out or a burmese or retic whatever it's not lasting very long it's too dry it's too cold sometimes it's too hot um but they still use that in places like like here like minnesota like wisconsin like like anchorage like alaska um it's it's really crazy but they use that argument and it's you know you can't be denied that they are very hardy animals and there's that impact and the other one is just it doesn't look good um it just it like it really doesn't look good and that is what i think is going to be our biggest fight is so we all watched the tiger king right even if you didn't watch the tiger king you know what it was about that documentary documentary started at tom crutchfield's place he was there for tom crutchfield a bigger scarier crazier story just by coincidence happened while he was there but he was there for tom he was there for the reptile industry it it opened with with tom and some of his snakes while he was working with some of his hot snakes um and a guy in a, in a van with a snow leopard in his van happened to show up to pick up like a, like a couple Gaboon Vipers or something from Tom or something like that. I don't remember the exact specifics, but he was there for the reptile community. He'd been working on it for a while. And since then, since the Tiger King, obviously it's wildly successful and famous. Um, didn't help him get out of jail, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what happened. But since then, he's still working on the reptile one. He's talked to other people. He's talked to other, I don't want to call them leaders, but he's talked to other very prominent figures in our, in our circles. Um, he's done interviews with them. And there, there is no way that it will not be shaped that we are being, you know, flippantly dangerous and careless um, you know, probably mostly talking about, you know, the giant snakes and the monitors and the venomous snakes, but there's no doubt in my mind that they're also going to talk about, you know, the shows, the, the term flesh peddler gets thrown around where we're just, you know, we're selling living, breathing animals for profit, which not 100% an accurate statement where that's, what's going to be framed. And because the way how media works now that will shape public opinion. And so they will have the environmental approach and they've had that down pat and we've never really successfully managed to argue or come to a middle ground on that one. They have been fairly successful at fighting the smear campaign, our public image, um, because we're not good at it. We're really not. Um, they've been pretty good about that. And then they're going to slam dunk it in with this. There will be a reptile king there will be a, a a viper king netflix series there there's gonna be one there's you there's no arguing and it's it's being worked on right now and then now they have the third one like i mentioned before um and that's because of the pandemic um since humans have started to domesticate animals and be around them there has been an increase of diseases that we can catch communicable diseases between those animals and people called zoonic diseases there has been a steady increase of them as time has gone on from 
the earliest times of us, you know, taming down wolves to dogs and carrying and, you know, taming down jungle fowl to chickens and taming for cattle and things like that. There's been an increase up until now. And, you know, there's still a lot of stuff, you know, you know, tied to pangolins and bats and all these other things that have the potential crossover um, from human to or from animal to human as pathogens that could always be the start of the next pandemic. Um, and now they're using that too. And that has come up several times, even during the pandemic, it came up where they were using that as a reason to be able to um, reenact the Lacey Act and then create that black and white list where at any time they can say, this is now illegal. Um, they try to do that. It got shot down. It's come up a couple different times in different states. Um, traveling acts where, you know, just taking it back and forth from where you live to the vet, teacher in school, to what I do, um, all that would become illegal. And they've tried to do that multiple times in a lot of different states. Um, and I think federally, um, they even tried to do that once or twice too. But they have a really good strategy and really good, you know, info to back up their side. And there is no doubt in my mind that stuff's going to change um, dramatically and radically. Um, anyone who is unaware, there's stuff going on in South Florida, in, in Florida, where essentially they are creating a black and white list. Um, and that there's, they've already put out, um, animals that were going to immediately be removed, um, immediately be illegal to be kept under really any private circumstance. Um, and then ones that are up for debate or topic. Um, those include red-tailed boas, a lot of cichlids, both African and South American, ball pythons, African clawed frogs. A lot of our very commonly kept pets are on that list in South Florida. And, you know, U.S. Arc Florida is trying to do their best. They are openly now being able to challenge some legislation going on there. Um, but I think in all honesty, Florida might be done in the long run and not even in the long run in the next like five years, I think Florida might be done, um, which is really messed up. And that kind of brings me to my next point, which is, you know, U.S. Arc, and I'm not, and I'm not going to sit here and, and downgrade what U.S. Arc has done. I donate to U.S. Arc. I have two, I have two different memberships to U.S. Arc, um, because they really are the only ones that are fighting for us. They really are. They're the ones who try to keep us in the loop. They're the ones who do and have really rallied us together. And there are some other industry leaders out there that have also really stepped up to help spread that word a whole lot more um, that aren't nearly as controversial as some other people have and are still. Um, but U.S. Arc has always been really more pushing for the economic side of it. Not to say that they don't do other things or that this is bad by any means. But a lot of, a lot of their points, um, you know, of like their pre-done emails um, that they that we that we copy and paste, and they make it very easy um, and very quick and convenient for us to email our congresspeople, which is great, absolutely. Again, not knocking on U.S. Arc at all, um, but it's always been in more of like the American jargon, which obviously makes it very palatable for, you know, politicians. Um, where it's about money, where it's about individual rights, um, 
and they and that is a good thing and it has and it has worked it's worked here in colorado um it's it obviously worked for this it worked for the lacy act it worked for this last competes act it's worked in you know at least a dozen states um and none of that is incorrect either but that's one that's one of those three prongs the other one is the big environmental impact that can't be ignored um as well as now the public opinion slander campaign that will be the, the viper king or whatever we're going to call it um until it comes out um and that's not going to be enough and honestly i don't think it was enough um and you know we've kind of done this to ourselves being very flippant about how we've been keeping them and then advertising it um but you know i think that what's going to happen now is like i said stuff's going to change um and i really think when that when that documentary comes out that's going to be the nail in the coffin um that we've kind of helped build for ourselves where there will be laws passed um and it's going to dramatically change the landscape of this hobby and i think what we need to do as a community are a couple different things and i'm not saying this is what we all need to go out and do right now but i think these are some things that i think would be very beneficial for us which is you know number you know just how we present ourselves so at least on a majority i feel like and it is growing um we've started to recognize that you know blanket and umbrella statements and laws and things like that i don't I don't like under really any circumstance, but we've we've kind of realized that rack systems, while necessary for the hobby to continue to grow and expand, um, aren't necessarily the best and definitely not the best look or image. Um, the very minimalistic sanitary keeping, not to say that, you know, your in enclosure should ever be dirty and they shouldn't be clean or anything like that. Um, but that kind of like, you know, medical grade sterility. Um, that got very popular because it could uh, for a very long time. Um, we've started to, you know, take steps away from that. And I feel that there definitely are quite a few people out there that have recognized that, including some of, like, the bigger name people um, have, have stepped away from that. But I really feel that more people need to, like, you know, I, I've, I've even watched lots, a lot of their videos and stuff. They've changed their tunes a about it but they really need to start pushing more i feel um i mean i do as best as i can um but you know i'm just i'm a little guy on youtube um you know I, i'm i'm not invited to the big stuff and i don't have you know millions of followers and you know i don't make all of my money off of ad revenue from youtube um and i understand that that um you know they have bills to pay animals are expensive um and understand why they do that but I feel that if they, if a lot of those people in the community as a whole really start to push more for that, um, to push the, the online and presenting image of our hobby, that's going to do a lot. And I really feel like we really need to get on it. Um, you know, we don't show the rack systems as much, or if we do, we're advocating for, you know, larger tubs. We're advocating for more enrichment inside, um, changing things up for them, um, being able to show that reptiles do have a lot of cognitive function. 
um, that needs to happen as well as, you know, a lot of like the feeding videos, specifically the live feeding videos. Um, I mean, those, those get so much traction, um, and they don't look good from the outside at all. Um, and I know people have a lot of opinions about that one for sure, but I really feel that that's a big one that I think we need to move away from in all honesty. Um, and the last one is definitely, definitely the biggest one, I think, of what we need to do. Um, and that's the big snakes and the venomous. Um, and again, this is not me saying that people shouldn't be able to have these. We just need to be a lot more aware about this, is that I think, you know, outside the community, we've recognized those giant, very heavily overweight, obese retics aren't healthy it's not a good look um but you know there's a couple people and again we know who i'm really talking about um i don't think they're gonna change because they're that's how they make their money um but i think if you know as a whole if we really push to move away from that not necessarily to like ostracize the person um or even to you know to push for like animal cruelty things um, cause I don't know if that's necessarily the best tract for that, but if we really as a whole just kind of like shun it a little bit, I think that'd be really good. Um, and then the free handling the hots, man. Um, I understand that, you know, they're, they're, they're absolutely intelligent, personable animals. They can be, um, that they don't, they don't want to envenomate if they don't have to, like it's, that's, it's, it's a legitimate thing statement that that's they don't want to do it they only do it to feel if they feel threatened um you, you know a, a keeper of most species with working with an animal um snake cat horse dog whatever they can build trust to where they can safely do that but you know mistakes happen accidents happen confusion can happen on the part of both the keeper and the animal um and bites happen a lot and there are very prominent people who the bites have happened and they're still making videos of it. And it's, it's very detrimental to the image of the hobby. And I know it sounds like I'm really harping on this and I'm trying to be, you know, like, well, let's, you know, just a couple people or it's, you're just talking about like how things look outwardly, but that's how the world views things. It's those select, very popular individuals. It's no one deep dives, even for stuff that uh, that directly affects them. They don't ever, they don't even read the full article. They just read the headline, maybe the first line. That's all that people do. So I think that we need to really concentrate and focus on our image. Um, you know, better, better animal keeping in the racks, better... Um, you know, no more free handling. We talk a lot more about, you know, animal welfare, a lot more um, enrichment. And it, and it is happening. It's changing. I see a lot. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I do talk to a lot of people. Um, you know, there's uh, this there there is this one. Uh, his name is Phil Leitz. He's from Arids Only. Um, he's here in Colorado. And we've spoken a couple times, um, even try to do like a little educational event. Um, and, you know, talking to him. Um, he definitely has a lot of very similar ideas and actually he's been on, um, another podcast that more than likely you also listen to the animals at home podcast. Um, he's been on a couple of that one. 
Um, and he's even uh, starting another podcast with another uh, with a partner um, under kind of like the Animals at Home like podcast or broadcast network, whatever uh, whatever the terminology is for that one. Um, but you know they are definitely on the idea of pushing for moving forward with the hobby, where they are definitely trying to push the hobby and keeping in a much more positive direction that I think that if a lot of people kind of got on board with from little people like me all the way up to the big boys, um, that I think it could really save this hobby. And not to say that I don't think nothing will change because I think it's too late. Uh, I really do. Stuff's going to change. Um, and absolutely go listen to the podcast that um, Phil is on. Um, and Animals at Home, if you don't listen to that one, or it's on YouTube too, um, you should absolutely check that out. They're, uh, much more successful than I am for a very good reason. Um, but I think that a lot of those ideas are what is needed, um, to do so. And the other thing that I think that this hobby really needs to do, um, you know, and maybe this is something that we need to discuss with US Arc a little bit more. Um, and this is something that, you know... A little bit more personal, I should say, is that, you know, as I mentioned before, they always really push more for the monetary aspect, the money aspect, the business, the loss of business, and the rights of keeping. Um, like, that always sits weird with me personally, where it's, rights are a really weird thing, especially these days, they get thrown around a lot, um, where rights are concrete, unchangeable, immovable, um, you know, that, that we're all born with for sure. Like nothing can change that. Um, and even if it's for the detriment, it's still a good thing. Um, and I think there's a lot more gray area to that. Um, where, especially with what we're talking about with keeping animals to where I think that no one should have you know, not necessarily the inability to have the animals to keep them, but for some species, for venomous, for crocodilians, for monitors, for the big constrictors, I think it should be a little bit more difficult um, and more hoops that they should go through to be able to actually have them. Um, you know, and I kind of touched on this a little bit about in my video where, you know, retics, because of you know, the morphs and stuff, they've gone the route of the ball python where they're just too popular. Keeping a retic isn't the same as keeping a ball python by any means. They're an entirely different animal. Um, and a retic is a big enough animal to be a danger to someone's health if they're um, careless about handling and keeping them. Um, and so that's where, you know, this is going to be the part where it seems like a lot of people, and, you know, for the most part, I actually don't deal with too much hate, um, probably because I'm not very popular, which is a, a blessing and a curse, I guess you could say, um, to where a lot of the negative negativity that I get my way um, isn't as bad as what I see a lot of other people get. Um, a lot of it's on race, honestly, but when I make a statement like where I feel it should be more regulated to where you should be able to keep them but it should be more difficult, almost like certain firearms. That's where I lose people. That's where people start to get mad or tune off. 
to where you should still have the ability to do so, but you shouldn't have, you, I don't know if you should have the right where it's, you know, you, you, it's 100% your right. You're entitled to any kind of gun, any kind of reptile or animal, um, because of the issues of safety to yourself to your community and to, in the case of reptiles, the reptiles themselves, um, to where a lot of these very popular animals are not being kept properly and they're not, and the information out there to keep them properly is also bad. Like Savannah monitors, how many people feed rats to their adult Savannah monitors? And, um, you know, how many people keep Asian water monitors in five, six foot cages? How many people keep retics in six foot cages? Um, I mean, yeah, there's so many, there's so, like, I, I, I vented one, one show in Texas, um, and I was walking by a table, and on their table, they had baby morlets, crocodiles, gaboon vipers, and, and, uh, a couple copperheads on the table, like, next to, like, a pastel ball python, and that freaked me out, uh, and I just don't think that's, it's not good for, the longevity and safety of this community, in my opinion. Um, again, to reiterate, this is my opinion, but I feel that a lot of my ideas and views are kind of shared um, with a good majority of um, of the hobby. And I know that a lot of places are starting to look outside of the hobby for ideas of how to improve it. Um, you know, like VivTech, um, Ryan and Erica McVeigh, who started up a reptile essentially lighting company that worked um even with people outside the country to get led lights that could be safe for the reptiles um that could out that could put out the proper wavelengths of uva and uvb without detrimental uvc that lasts longer um they're working on systems that can like almost like like coral like coral beef tanks to where it can be controlled, to where it can be almost like an app down the road where you can just like plug in, um, you know, like Crested Gecko and you have all the equipment and then, you know, you just press go essentially and then it will be able to take care of um, the lighting, the temperature, the misting and stuff where all you have to do is just, you know, monitor the water level for your misting system and give them food essentially um, and it takes care of it for you, um, which is really cool. And I think that's what we really need um, and I think that's what's going to happen a lot, uh, down the road in this hobby is that we're, you know, with, with the onset of the popularity of ball pythons and morphs, um, even with like the Burmese python, cause I think that was like the big starter was the albino, was the albino Burmese python. Um, and then the, and then the albino and then the pied ball python, um, a few years later that's what really did it. Um, reptile keeping in this country and around the world lost a lot of diversity where people who are working with a lot of different, um, different species, different localities, um, even some morphs that probably weren't fully realized as morphs. Um, they gave up and switched to ball pythons to chase that dollar. Um, to be able to still work with animals to do what they love, but still, you know, take care of their families. Um, we lost a lot and a lot of it may not be coming back. And I'm seeing a small resurgence of some stuff. I'm seeing a lot more like colubrid locality stuff, which is really, really cool. 
Um, but I think what's going to happen is we're going to lose a lot. Um, we're going to lose the ability to keep or to import in a lot of new species. Um, the total number, I think, is going to go down. And what's going to be like the new start-off kicking point level of care and husbandry requirements are going to be much higher. Um, we're going to see a lot more um, larger enclosures. We're going to see a lot more like open front PVC type enclosures. We're going to see not as many small ones. Um, a lot more UVB, a lot more choices, I think, um, for the care and the technique and to hone our ability to keep them properly, um, which will be good. But again, I think we're going to lose, we're going to lose some species and it's going to be a little bit more difficult, I think. Um, and then here's, here's the trade-off, which is, and it was honestly highlighted in Dave Kaufman's new video. Um, or he went to Africa to go see ball pythons in the wild, which started off a whole a whole new tide of arguments about ball pythons and trees and stuff, and them being semi-arboreal and all this stuff, which I'm not going to touch that. But um, he did bring up a very good point, which, um, you know, that I had known about because uh, I had talked to people who were in the wholesaling import part of our community, which is there are not enough ball pythons being bred in this country to keep up with the demand for ball pythons, at least in the United States. And they're being shipped across seas a lot. Um, like the day, like if the day comes and China allows that, like a lot of colubrids get shipped to Japan and China, um, but China, um, you can't bring in ball pythons. If the day says, if China opens up and says you can have ball pythons, it'll explode all over again. Um, but just in this country, just for people wanting their first pets, wanting to chase the, the pyramid scheme that is morphs, there aren't enough being bred um, in the States. There really aren't. Um, which sounds insane. All you see are ball pythons at shows, at stores, at everywhere. That's all you see. Um, but there's always demand for them. And that's why importation still happens. And as Day Coffin highlighted, the day that the importation dries up, people that come from the countries, and this isn't just ball pythons, this is places in, you know, Central and South America, places in, you know, Indonesia area, Papua New Guinea area, parts of, parts of Southeast Asia, where a big part of how a lot of people are able to put food on the table for their families is the catching and farm raising and hatching of all these different snakes and then selling them to the United States um, and Canada and other places too. But what's going to happen is, you know, the argument that, you know, it's bad for the environment and they are over harvesting, which is not an incorrect argument to say a lot of times they do get over harvested. Um, both legally and illegally in a lot of these places. I'm not going to, I'm not saying that at all, but when the legal part, um, is, goes away there, they will go back to the skin market, to the skin trade. Um, the skin market took a huge dive, um, with the onset of that. I mean, it was like a, 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 a close to a billion dollar, if not a billion dollar trade 
throughout a lot of the 20th century. And then with the onset of the popularity of reptiles, even crocodilians, um, huge loss in that market, in that industry. And people will do what it takes to be able to feed themselves and their families. And so because of that, what happens to those animals? Um, you know, and obviously as someone who cares about animals, who loves animals and snakes, particularly Dave Kaufman definitely did, I don't want to say played it up by any means, but definitely really focused on that part. Um, but it's true though, is that's going to happen in a lot of places where if like Burmese pythons are no longer able to be in reticulated pythons are no longer able to be brought into this country. Um, but if something were to happen where we're no longer able to keep them, um, illegal poaching will happen more. Um, and then that will be the true end of wild Burmese pythons in Asia, of wild reticulated pythons in Asia, where we are no longer able to keep them really sustainably, um, where they can't travel in and out, where the big places that we are allowed to have them where more cities and states are putting limits or species limits on size or whatever. Um, the illegality of smuggled and poached animals will uptick and then the endangered animals will, that could, that could be the nail in the coffin for them. Um, you know, I think that maybe more moderation of the amount of imports of certain species and from some areas, like what happened in Madagascar is, um, there's not a whole lot of imports coming in from Madagascar anymore. Um, there may never be again either. There probably will be, but um, that's dramatically decreased. Um, but Madagascar is another kind of special case where there's not a whole lot of land left either. Um, so we could see a lot of species go the way of the dodo because of hunting and because of um, human growth. But I think that, you know, between the skin trade and then the illegal poaching, um, because there's this weird thing that this is also part of the skeevy thing that gets to me with people, specifically in this country, um, where it's, if you can't have it, you want it. And even I had that kind of knee-jerk reaction when a very real possibility of the Lacey Act being reenacted, I was like, I need to get a couple dwarf retexts where I know... I can safely and responsibly house two to three less than 12 foot animals. I can do that, but I don't want more than that, but I don't want the species to go away. Um, I had that reaction. I think a lot of people did too. Um, that's probably why, that's probably why door free ticks are as popular as they were is that um, when that went away, people are like, okay, I, I'm going to get this either to make sure they don't go away or for the hope of eventual, um, ability for, um, like the sustainability of them comes back. Um, and you know, that's that weird thing that people have where if you can't have it, you, you, if you're not supposed to have it, you gotta have it. Um, and that'll happen again, as well as again, that kind of like entitlement, right? Which, um, that's been the one part like about US Arc that always, I've always been like, eh which is the right to keep things because I, I, I fall into that category of like, well, absolutes aren't great. Um, God given or fundamental rights. It's really complicated and I'm not a big fan of it. 
under a lot of circumstances. Um, and that can be very problematic uh, in a lot of ways. And so that's why, you know, in the video that I did about not wanting to get rid of them, but to make it harder or for them to not be as popular, I, I think I, I did a good job of highlighting that. Um, that, you know, some, some reasonable discussed research laws and relegations, relegations and legislation and regulations, um, are probably, are probably needed. Um, and you know, we do need us arc. We really do. And I do support us arc. Um, but I really feel they need to, you know, really think about, and not just us arc, all of us too. We really need to start thinking about, you know, captive breeding, um, and sustainable populations and reasons why we still need this. Um, not only this, uh, not, not only the ability to keep the animals, um, and not just like, you know, the big 10 of like, you know, ball pythons, leprechauns, crusties, you know, those things. Um, but a large variety of them, you know, we really need to start pushing as to why not only do we need the ability to keep them, but why this whole industry is important, you know, um, like I really, there, there's a lot of reasons why I think reptiles are almost like mystical to a lot of people. And I feel like at least in my, my case, it's, I can really relate to an animal that always kind of has like a nose down looked at opinion of from a lot of society to where they're always you know demonized as i said before always looked down at always thought the worst of um when they're just trying to be themselves and just trying to get by and the little bit of time and energy and effort into them into understanding them is something i can really relate to and that's really about the only time I ever open up either is talking about reptiles and snakes in particular. I'm definitely a snake guy. Um, and I would like to, you know, be able to share my, my passion and knowledge for them and try to be a better example for a lot of people. Um, and not to say I'm perfect by any means, like, again, not, not a big presence online. And like my most popular video is, um, a video from a couple years ago where I showed off my essentially um, gecko and Asian rat snake room where a lot of the cages, they're small subadult cages, but I have adult animals in them because I, I just didn't know better. You know, I fell into the same trappings that ever, that a lot of people did where, you know, a, an adult ball python can be kept in a tiny little tub that a crested gecko can be kept in a tiny little thing. And you know, I didn't have, you know, I had snakes in there that were in quarantine because I didn't have a better quarantine facility. So they're in like smaller tubs than I normally would be. But I, I think I explained that away a little bit, not away, but explained it. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't look good for what I'm trying to put out there. And it does kind of bum me out that that's my most popular video. Um, and even with some of the other videos that I've done where I show like different ways of doing setups and stuff. 
they're always smaller ones. Um, and then the newer ones that I've done since then in the years, um, you know, following that they're larger, they're more, there's a lot more enrichment for them. There's more options for them. Those never do as well. Um, and that really bums me out a little bit that like, I'm probably most well known for, at least on the YouTube space for, for some reason, five beginner rept or beginner amphibians, which honestly weren't the best choices. <laughs> I just went with five ones that could be good. And honestly, thinking about it, there could have been like 10 other ones that might've been better ones for that video. Um, and then that one, which is, you know, I'm, I'm slowly phasing out the number of geckos that I have because I, I want to do better by the animals that I do have um, and give them more and larger for them. And I'm, and that's what I try to advocate and push for, like, you know, for a long time when I would do the reptile shows, either vending, um, for the very small amount of animals that I produce or just doing educational shows, um, I would have a display out like a three foot, like a three, like a, like a, like a 40 gallon size, but a PVC one open front one. Um, and I have it all decked out and I would sit there and I would have like a shopping list on top and I would say, you know, this is what you need for, you know, your baby boa, your baby corn snake, ball python, whatever, for depending on the species for the first few years. But, you know, for a pet, this is, this is not an adult size enclosure for a corn snake, for a ball python, certainly not a boa, or really any of the species that are commonly kept. Um... You know, I'd always advocate for larger, but I would say, you know, like, here's, this is a way you could do it. And I would never really advocate for rack systems, even though I use them. Um, but I try not to be the giant hypocrite. Um, you know, the do as I say, not as I do crowd where um, I have the larger, the larger tubs, the large racks. I'm looking over at them as I'm talking um, to where, you know, I'm, I'm having to go out and buy melamine, which I'm not the biggest fan of by any means. Because I do have larger racks to where, um, you know, 90% of other, 90, probably 99% of any other ball python breeder still uses, you know, 41 quart or the V70 tubs for their adult animals. Um, and I'm using 74 quarts, which is, you know, close to twice the size. So they would have, you know, two to three times the number of animals in the space that I have. Um, of just the space allocated for the breeding animals that I have. Um, you know, not counting the boas or, or yang and the large, the larger enclosures, not counting the indigo and the larger enclosure, but just the space allocated, like the one wall that I have, not even the full wall, they would have probably upwards of, you know, five, 600 animals. Um, and I don't have that many. And so that's what I like to push for. And I would like to see a lot more people really start to do that, to take almost a more of like a personal reason as to why they do it, um, why they love it, and things like that, you know. Um, I know this seems kind of like a bit of a downer, and there's a good chance that, you know, when I mentioned, like, the gun thing, um, a lot of people checked out, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that um, things are going to change, and it's going to be probably very radically different very quickly, that, um, you know, stuff that we did back in the day that we never made enough effort to really change of how cavalier we were about stuff. Um, we, you know, we kind of set our own fate a little bit and, you know, I don't, 
I don't know what all will be said in that documentary. And I know I keep coming back to that, but I really do feel that's, that will be, that'll be it. Um, I don't think it's going to go away because in, especially in this country, we don't like to cure things. We don't like to get rid of things. We like to treat them. We like to maintain them because there's money in it. So I don't think the reptile industry is ever going to go away, but I think it's going to be very different. Um, it'll probably be much more regulated. And I feel that like right now, um, and the momentum has started specifically, you know, with like Garrett, um, from Reach Out Reptiles really heading up that USR YouTube channel. Um, and the other creators getting in on that and influencers and people in industry leaders and, and prominent figures are getting into that a little bit. Um, I feel like the momentum has started that now is the time that we really need to figure out our multi-prong um, defense. And that's really what it is too. It's we are defending our ability to keep these animals and defending the reasons why we need to keep them, you know, um, like a lot of people talk about the Invisible Ark, um, which was this book that actually I'm gonna where is it right here? I think it's doo -doo 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 -doo. so this this book right here, the Invisible Ark, written by Dave and Tracy Barker. Um, for people who don't know, that's the VPI. Um, so the people who like boas, the VPI boas, that's the Barkers. Um, they are cornerstones of our hobby. In all honesty. Um, they wrote this book and they talk about how, you know, keeping in captivity, we've shown that private keepers are sometimes significantly better at breeding and maintaining a lot of different species of a lot of different, a lot of different species in herpetoculture than even many zoos have. Um, and because of the onset of human hubris and growth and in industry that we're going to lose wild populations, excuse me. And that, you know, because of, you know, us here, this, the, the animals in private hands in captivity, um, in this country and around the world create an invisible arc. So that way, eventually, once we realize, because it's always too late for us, we always, we always find it too late. Um, we could still have animals either that will, will have in captivity or potentially could be released again in the wild someday. Um, and I don't know if the invisible arc is truly going to be a thing for a lot of our species, but there is a very real probability that, you know, for some of these animals, it, it will be, or the only, the only animals will be hand in the hands of these private keepers. Um, especially if it becomes illegal to import them and then the poaching will happen the skin trade will happen um, in cases like, you know, in Africa, the bushmeat trade where um, people in other industries, the workers are essentially used as, you know, slave wages to where they can't afford to buy food. So the only food that they can eat are animals from the bush. Um, and that could happen with a lot of different reptiles too, to where they're just over hunted for, for food, for skin, for things like that. Um, to where the only animals left will be in the will be in the hobby, and the ability to sustainably keep them will also go away. 
um, and we're going to lose a lot. And I don't really want that to happen. So that's why I really feel that public opinion is something that we have a much better chance of affecting. Um, because right now, the groups that are really trying to take that away have the money to line the pockets of politicians. They have the public opinion of the environment and of you know, animal abuse on their side. Um, and I really feel that US ARC will be, continue to be like our main fighting force. They will be our uniter. Um, unless we can really get everyone on board. Um, and I mean everyone, everyone. And that includes people that, you know, we don't necessarily always agree with. Um, people that, especially in the past, for sure, have done a lot of not great stuff but are now advocates for better, for better keeping and for the betterment of community. Um, and you know, a lot of those big people now are still not setting a very good example. Um, are still actively promoting a lot of stuff that I think isn't very good for the hobby. That's not good for that. And again, I know this is all just my opinion. And I'm just talking at this point. Um, I try not to ramble too much, but I think I got it all down. Um, but you know, that's, that's what's coming. Um, you don't have to like my opinion. You don't have to like my points. You don't have to agree with them, but it's coming. And we we kind of did a lot of it to ourselves. And unless we really do come together, um, we're going to lose a lot more than, than what we could. We could still probably hold on to a lot. Um, probably have a little bit more freedom for us to figure out on our own before we have to adapt to it or we get a lot of articles a lot of headlines of released animals a lot of cichlids and piranhas and pakus and ponds a lot more um a lot more ball pythons on the jogging trails a lot more snakes and wendy's and mcdonald's and stuff we're gonna see a lot more of that if that happens, because that's the very first thing that happens when blanket and umbrella bans happen is that people just release their animals um, or people become criminals for it. And we don't want that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe message a lot more of those really more popular people. Tell them to really push for more. Tell them to talk about this more. Um, you know, check out the Animals at Home podcast, not just not just the ones with Phil, not just the ones, because I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw, um, like, I got a little notification that they had one um, about something very similar to what I'm talking about now. Um, go check that out if you haven't. Um, yeah, this is definitely becoming a solo podcast over an hour at this point. But you should absolutely go do that and, you know, talk to, you know, message that and, and talk to people too. Um, if there's a local reptile show in your town coming up, go to it, you know, show some support, talk to people, learn more, you hear people, you know, it's kind of the same thing with a lot of other stuff, uh, you know, if you hear people saying things to the detriment of things, you know, you don't need to sit there and like butt into conversations and go, it's venomous, not poisonous, but you know, s you know, silence is complacence, um, 
you know, you don't have to sit there and, like, confront random people, or you don't even have to confront your family, necessarily. But, you know, not saying, like, just standing by, like, in comment sections and Facebook groups and stuff, you know. It's, it's the, that's kind of become the norm now, is that people will just kind of scroll on by or ignore stuff. And so, um, negativity and hate has really been allowed to really get a foothold into our lives again. And I feel with reptiles, which I know this is, again, this is me being more personal about this probably, but for something that I found so late that I think I finally am a bit of a part of more, I don't want to see that lost and I don't want to be part of a community that stands by and waits for it to happen to them individually. So that's why even though, you know, maybe only a couple hundred people will ever watch or, or hear this, hopefully those couple hundred people get something from this and they tell a couple other people and it spreads slowly. Um, that's what I really would like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can as long as I can to, to teach people to share my knowledge and passion and love of these animals. Um, that's really what I'm going to try to do. That's what I'm trying to do right now. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much for sticking with me for this. Like it's been, you know, especially, you know, with all those like crazy headlines and like the US arc alerts that gets everyone into it. Oh my God, panic. Um, which again, not, not getting on US arc. Because that's, we do need to know that. We need to stay in the know. But, you know, maybe, maybe instead of the feeding videos, instead of, you know, the egg cutting videos, it's, check out this cool thing I do with my enclosure, or check it out, I got this kind of unusual species, I got this pair, I'm going to see what I can do. Or, hey, or reaching out and asking for other for other people's opinions and stuff. You know, I have a lot of people ask me about my legless lizards. Um, not to say I know what I'm really doing that, that well with them. I'm, I, I, I go out and I talk to people and I get a lot of information. I try to read articles and studies. Um, and then I share that with people who ask me what I have learned, what I'm doing currently, what seems to be working. Um, and I'll also point them in the direction of other people who I talk to um, and who I learned from. And I feel that needs... That's also something to be really good to be able to see too. Um, but again, thanks for sticking with me on this one. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed me, or no, I don't even necessarily mean enjoy, but you know, maybe got something from this or gave you an idea for maybe doing something of your own or a person who you want to reach out to or something like that. Um, I'd be more than happy to talk about these kind of things a lot more. If you know somebody that you think would be good to want to talk to her. Heck, if you even, you know, have opinions about this or ideas about this and you want to talk, I have no problem. Let's, let's have a chat because I really feel that even with my videos sometimes can get a little bit lengthy. Um, these longer podcast length or full length conversations, I feel you can get a lot from more than a minute or three minute TikTok or a 15 minute video that bounces around a lot. Um, I feel like a lot of that is really beneficial. And yeah, just uh, thanks for sticking with me if you made it this far again. Um, I think I think that this could still be a really good community that 
I don't know if saving is the right word, but, you know, being able to continue to do what we do and what we love, I think could still happen. Um, it's just going to be different. And I'm honestly hoping maybe for the better, um, that, you know, again, it's not going to be as easy or as available or as impulsive of acquiring and keeping these animals as it's been. But I think that's, it might be a good thing down the road. Um, but yeah, hope you guys, and hope you guys got something from this. Um, so I guess this is officially the podcast. So thanks for listening to the podcast. Keep calm. It's just a snake podcast. Uh, a couple weeks from now, we have a really cool guest that we're going to have on that we're talking about an amazing species of snake that's very difficult to keep care of in the hobby captivity. Um, you know, it's going to be really cool to talk to them about, um, as well as another, another really cool project that they're working on that kind of ties into this a little bit. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, so tune into that and, uh, you know, check out, check out some of the people that I talked about today too, that have a little bit more of a wider, wider spread or maybe could you know talk about it in maybe a different way that's more palatable or um just in a, in a different tune than i spun it so you know check out check out the us arc youtube channel check out reach out reptiles um vivtech products um they're i really like the vivtech products stuff because um not only are is like ryan ryan and erica are just like disturbingly nice people <laughs> like it's it's a little unnerving how nice and open they are um but they are legitimately trying to trying to change things and to make it to where like every individual can legitimately up their husbandry practices um and to bring it into kind of this generation of keeping to where a lot more technology based um, and a lot more, you know, initial setup, but the overall maintenance and consistency of it's going to be a lot easier and a lot better maintained down the road. So go check them out too, you know, um, just, yeah, thanks again. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. And we will, hopefully, if I didn't turn so many people away, uh, we will check you next time, both uh, for the next episode of the podcast don't know when the next one after that will be because i'm having trouble you know finding uh finding guests to talk to and i imagine it's probably easier and better to listen to multiple people talking not just me ranting for over an hour in my office um but i don't know when the next one will come out but we'll have one coming out at the beginning of september um which will be really really cool and after that i'm not really sure but if uh you know want to check out the rest of the podcast or the youtube channels uh, greatly appreciate it and hope you got something from this. Maybe you did enjoy it to give you something to think about. Um, you can check out the videos. Maybe you will find some stuff that you do enjoy for sure. Um, and learn even more. Uh, and yeah, so thanks again and we'll check you next time.